0: For our pastoral prayer this morning, I've chosen a a longer passage of Scripture, and it is going to be echoed in the sermon. So early in the week, there was some real intentionality to using this passage for our pastoral prayer and and praying for our church family. Uh, But before I do that, it would be so easy in that practice to not remember to pray for and to highlight some very pressing world needs. So let me verbally do that and pray for that, and then we'll fall into our ordinary custom. Uh, We prayed last week for what we anticipated being a war between Russia and the Ukraine, and of course that has now come. And in your home, it's probably like my home, where you have been in awe of things you're seeing on TV as an, an afflicted people are fighting for their lives and taking up arms within their homes to protect their lives and their livelihood and their freedom. And there's some amazing stories of of courage and of boldness. But I think our responsibility, not only to pray for the protection of life, which we certainly will do for both countries and for the world, but there are Christians there There are churches and missionaries there who are singing praises to God and leading others to do the same in the midst of horrific circumstances. And since this thing called the church has us united outside of these particular walls, we're united with the church universal. We understand those are our brothers and sisters in the faith living through misery and hardship. So let's pray for them, as well as our ordinary, customary, pastoral needs for our congregation. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are heavy when we see the images of war, images of attack, images of the strong trying to surprise and attack the weak and the outnumbered and the outmanned. And Lord, we rejoice in hearing stories of courage and boldness of men and women fighting for freedom, taking up arms. We can't imagine the horror of going without rest, wondering when the enemy will be at the door. We pray for the Christian church in the Ukraine and those in Russia who find themselves living a nightmare of a life. Lord, would your gospel strength and goodness and sweetness overcome them? That they would see life through your perspective. That you would be near to them and remind them of eternal truths. That little ones would see the faith of their parents and even find courage themselves. So, Lord, be very near to your suffering people, we pray, even as the Scriptures say that you will. You will always be. But we do pray for our brothers and sisters. They are suffering in this crisis and around the world in all kinds of crises. Lord, would you be near the brokenhearted, near the suffering in the way that we've heard from your Scriptures this morning. And, Lord, for your Word and how it instructs in marriages, Christian marriages, between a husband and a wife, where we're told in Ephesians 5 to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, His body, of which He is the Savior. without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Lord, as we hear these words from Scripture and in a culture that is so confused about family and manhood and womanhood and what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a wife, what it is to be in covenant relationship, what it is to defend and to protect that covenant and to strengthen that covenant. Lord, I know that all of us who are in that covenant struggle Struggle in our parts. We struggle in our roles. But Lord, I pray for the GPC Church family that we would fight the good fight for a Christian marriage. Lord, I pray for our men that they would lead the way in faith and repentance. That we would model for our household what it is to be able to say, I was wrong. I've sinned in thought, Word and deed. And Lord, I pray for a spirit of forgiveness within our marriages and within our families. That as we model faith and repentance, that faith and repentance would follow in the whole household. But Lord, all these things require your spirit and your word to be at work in our lives. We can't muster these things up. So, Lord, would you work in us? Would you strengthen our marriages, strengthen our individual faith, our individual character, and make us a people of discipline, the disciplines of grace? Do this in us that we might be a renewed people, that we might enjoy creation and all of your gifts the way that we were created to. Do these things in us that we might be salt and light in the world around us, even in Greenwood, South Carolina. We ask these things, we pray these things together in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're continuing a sermon series that I've titled Nuts and Bolts, The Bare Essentials, What Holds Everything Together in a Church and in its Vision for Ministry, its its Pursuit of Doing Ministry Together. And that's a recurring theme that I hope that you're picking up on as you're listening to this series and to to all the things that are taking place. We really do believe that we should be hooking arms and doing ministry together for the good of the kingdom in the world. Ministry is not just a pastor doing something. It's not just a session doing something, though we do believe those are important nuts and bolts. But our view of ministry is a robust one that sees every one of you using your gifts that God has given you to serve the one true God in whatever avenues make up your week throughout the week. Some of you are students. You're learning what it is to be called to the glory of God, to serve him with your mind and in your labors as a student. Others of you, maybe you're going to a factory during the week. Maybe you're going to a department store. Maybe you're going to an office building. Whatever it is you do, you may be stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad. Whatever you do, we believe that it's a part of the ministry that we share as salt and light in God's world. And so we're looking at nuts and bolts, and we began looking at a purpose statement, a purpose statement that reads this way, that we want to reach... We want to nurture and we want to equip God's people for God's worship and service in God's world. Short little pithy statement filled with meaning. If you've missed any of these sermons, they're all posted online. If you go for a walk or if you drive to the store and you missed the sermon, download it, listen to it, see what you think. See if it's something you would like to hook arms with and co-labor in. And then for the last two weeks, today being the third week, we're looking at goals of the church. And I'll remind you that when we talk about goals in the church, we're not talking about the goal of having a bigger facility, the goal of having more church members, the goal of meeting a certain budget amount. Uh, So if you're used to corporate goals in the workplace, it would be easy to cringe when you hear the church talk about goals. We're talking about ministry goals, the things we would like to see be true of us that God's Word says should be true of every Christian and every one of us. And so the first goal was that we would be a church where our members actually know Christ. We don't know about Him. We're not Old Testament scholars, New Testament scholars alone, but we actually know Jesus personally, intimately, really by faith. So, we want to know Christ. Our second goal we considered last week is that we want to be a people who are growing in grace. And we looked at that phrase from Scripture and what it means. But it means lifelong transformation. That we should be a people who are being transformed by the truths that God is teaching us in His world. We don't want to be stagnant, we don't want to be still, we want to be growing. We want growth spurts. We want seasons of growth. We want a continuous picture of growth throughout the Christian life. And then today begins goal three. And it is simply this. We want to be the church. We want to be the church. We want to be true to what the scriptures say a church should be. What the people of God should be. So today... Is a little bit different <clears throat> I'm going to introduce or reintroduce some concepts about the church and in the weeks ahead we're going to start looking at very particular fruit that should be true of us as a church and of you if you're a professing Christian several passages this morning but the first one is this first Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 Give your ear to the Word of God. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, received mercy. An introduction to what it means to be the church of God, the people of God. Let's pray for our consideration of it. Lord, would you take these next few minutes together as we consider your word, and by your spirit, would you open our eyes? Would you enlarge our hearts? And would you renew our wills? that we, whether children or adults, might aspire to be the church. We ask this and pray it for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So a serious subject this morning, and you may recall that for 41 weeks, about a year ago, we had a series titled The Church According to Scripture. It was 41 weeks long, looking in the Old Testament, looking in the New Testament, trying to get this biblical image and vision of who the people of God are supposed to be. Now, my children remind me uh, how long that series was as I introduced it each week. So for for today, we're going to do something a little bit different, son. We're going to begin. Our first point is going to be the church according to many people's experience. See what I did there? Not according to Scripture. Point number one, people's typical experience with the local church. Okay? You see what we're going to do? So the church according to many people's experience. And let me say, let me highlight, uh, this sermon this morning, much of it, the content of it, is from this little book that is now 20 years old. I can't believe it. Uh, this is called The Enduring Community: uh, The Embracing the Priority of the Local Church. Uh, two former RUF campus ministers, Brian Habig and Les Newsom, two former colleagues of mine. They're both pastoring churches in the PCA. Brian is in Greenville, South Carolina. Les is in Oxford, Mississippi. Wonderful little resource. And much of what I'm going to say this morning is gleaned from several chapters here. But the church, according to the typical person's experience, not GPC specific, but go out anywhere in America and talk to people about their experience in the local church. And here is what you will typically find. You will find the disappointed. Those who have been disappointed by their local church. And to sum that up, what is their disappointment about? Well, sometimes it can be true that sheep have false expectations of the local church. Sometimes the sheep think the church should be doing things that the church actually isn't committed to doing. So people can get upset by that. People can say, well, you know, the church I used to be in It had all these programs, and my social calendar was filled, and it was just high energy, and the church just has disappointed me. It's just not meeting those social expectations that I had. Uh, Or, you know, the church we used to have, it had this uh, enormous playground or this incredible gym or this family life center or this rec center, and I just really like being a part of something like that. So I'm just really disappointed or better you know i just i just don't really like a preacher who doesn't wear a tie if they're not wearing a tie i just can't worship there or you know if we're not in pews we're not worshiping not a true church if we're not in pews so i'm i'm, I'm disappointed i'm not going there anymore okay now you could apply that all kinds of ways where personal preferences, the the personal preferences of sheep create demands that the Bible never talks about. So all of us need to search our hearts with, well, what expectations are we bringing? Are those the reason that we are disappointed in our church? But that's not the full story. Secondly, sometimes the shepherds of the local church have inadequate provisions for the sheep. Sometimes the goods are not being delivered. Maybe the word is not being preached. Maybe the word is not being prioritized. Maybe a ministry of prayer is not occurring for the people. And sometimes God's people rightly are disappointed because what the scriptures say should be there are not there. So it's both things, right? Sometimes false expectations rule the day. Sometimes the expectations are right and the goods are not delivered. But all of that has left to a lot of disappointed people with the local church. Secondly, there's a group of people that would say they're disillusioned. They're disheartened. Maybe they've been wounded by the church. Maybe certain personalities of a leader in the church, Sunday school teacher in the church, officers in the church, maybe they've crushed wounded spirits. And the response to that has been there's just no place for me here. And people, as a result of that, withdraw. Never a good thing to withdraw from the true church where the gospel is preached, but it happens. People will will withdraw for various reasons. They become disillusioned and they'll say, you know, I'll just do this myself. Or maybe it's the kids are older now and they're so busy. I mean, have you seen our Saturdays? We're exhausted. So we're just not going to go to church on Sunday. We're going to sleep in. We'll get back to church in another season of life, right? Never a good strategy, not what we were created for. But people can be disillusioned in that way. It doesn't take much to dishearten and disillusion a Christian to the point that they withdraw, though it should take very much, in my opinion. It should take very much. That withdrawal from the local church can lead to spiritual isolation, where suddenly you're living the Christian life like like the Lone Ranger, which we were not created to do. And those who are in isolation become lonely, and become depressed. They also become easy prey in spiritual warfare because there may not be encouragement, there may not be instruction, there's certainly not accountability. And so the disillusioned can become easy prey in spiritual warfare. So some are disappointed, some are disillusioned, but those who are disappointed to the point of being disillusioned tend to be defeated They tend to be conquered. They've been isolated. They're lonely. They've lost the encouragement and accountability. And they now do what? They quit. I'm done with the church. You know? They took down that stained glass window that my great-grandfather put in. I'm done with them. Did they not appreciate it for more than 50 years? Um, Little things can cause people to harden and withdraw. But the Christian oh, it should be hard to walk away from the local church. More on that in a little bit. Another thing that's popular, and I'll speak to college students for a moment, um, you'll find out what your faith is when you're off to school and away from home. Or if when you graduate from high school, you're off to a job and away from home. Uh, That's where you'll find out if, if you'll get up in the morning, you go to bed early on Saturday night, early enough to get up and go worship with God's people, On Sunday morning that's where you'll find out is it your faith or your parents faith that would have you in church on Sunday morning and oftentimes in college this is not unusual and I think it's necessary maybe for a year but church hopping from one church to another and I've been around college students I know how that works wherever the cover dish is on Sunday is where we worship on Sunday, right? Go get a good meal. Hey, there's something to that. I get that. And there's benefits to hopping around. But one of the most beautiful things I've seen is when college students say, okay, I'm going to be here for four years. I'm going to take some time and find the right faithful church. And I'm going to put roots down there for four years. I'm going to learn what it is to show up, to be a part of a body, to get to know the people warts and all, and to contribute my gifts and my service however I can. That's a beautiful thing. That should be the norm. But even adults, college students who get used to hopping around tend to become adults who hop around. It gets harder and harder to put your roots down. But everything about the Scripture, it's all about binding yourself to God's people. And so long as the church is faithful to the Scriptures, those are God's people. And when they're called to worship and they gather for worship, There's no better place to be, amen? Okay, that's a side sermon. The disappointed, the disillusioned, and the defeated. That's the church according to many people's perspective. And I don't doubt that many of you in here could say that, yep, that's me. I've been defeated, or I've been disillusioned, um, or I've been disappointed. Or it may be you in the future. Uh, But let's do this. For the next few minutes, let's look at, again, We'll call it this time, The Church According to Paul's Letter to the Christians in Ephesus. Okay? So particular to the book of Ephesians, three little points. And if you like metaphors, if you like allegories, if you like word pictures, this is for you. If you don't like those things, this is God's inspired word, so get over it. This is how he's revealed his church to us. Okay? He's given Paul these inspired thoughts to communicate what the church is like. That it's similar to things that we've experienced. And he gives us three examples. And the first is this. The church is a building. The church is a building. Now what kind of building? Brick and mortar or flesh and blood? Here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God the Holy Spirit. The church is a building. That's the picture that Paul is giving in Ephesians. The church is being built to be something significant. A holy temple for worship. Now, listen, this is very important, and there's all kinds of ways to apply this. Uh, but just to get right to it, he is saying the church is flesh and blood. It's not brick and mortar. It's not drywall and LED lights. Now, we can think of that, right? That the church is a holy place. Well, it is a holy place. But what he's saying here is that the people are the building not the building itself. Listen to this quote from the book that I referenced earlier from Brian Habig and Les Newsom. Church buildings do not possess an inherent sacredness. It is the building inside the building that the scriptures are concerned about. The The stones of the church are flesh and blood. We are the temple, Paul says, that has been made holy by Christ, who is himself the chief cornerstone. Do you understand that? God is concerned with the people, not the structure. Now, you want to see a great lesson of this truth? We've seen it over the last two years, if you have eyes to see. A pandemic can come across the land. Well, what's a church to do? If we can't all fit in a building, in a small sanctuary that can hardly fit us now, what what are we to do? Does that mean we can't worship? We're not dependent upon a building. It's when God's people gather. They're called to worship and they can gather. 20 years of my life I preached in a barn. I learned that God can be at work when His people gather and His word is open in a barn. We learned it here in a field And most recently, we're learning it here in a gymnasium. I've been told, can't worship unless we're in the sanctuary. I don't have a category for that. I don't have a category for that. Because the scriptures don't have a category for that. It's about the people of God coming together, responding to a call to worship, confessing their sins, receiving the assurance of pardon of the gospel, hearing from his word and being instructed and directed, having our wills renewed, and then going and being the church in the world. We are not building centered. We're not building dependent. We could do this in the parking lot, and we are the church of Jesus Christ. So sacredness not attached to any building or place. It is the people. And it is God's work in and through those people. That's what it is when the Apostle Paul says, you are the church, you're the holy temple. Don't get sidetracked by pews and carpet colors and walls and buildings. And by the way, what do churches tend to split over? Carpet colors, whether to have pews or chairs. Let's be a Bible thinking people and see those things for what they are. Some of them are necessary, some are not, but it's about us being together and being under the word of God. We, all we need to do to be the people of God in worship is to be together with his word and him sending his spirit. Amen? Amen. Okay, secondly, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are a body. The church is a body, it's not just a building, it's a body. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6 and 15 through 16, just an excerpt from a larger statement that he makes. But he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the body, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly." makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We, as the church, are equipped to do something significant. So we're we're built to be something significant, a holy temple. We're equipped by God himself as a part of his body to do something significant. There's something for everyone to do. And it is a holy worship, a holy work of ministry, and it's holy growth. It's spiritual growth. We're being built into a body in this way, and there's only one head on the body, and it's Jesus himself. All of us make up the parts, and you've heard it said before, there is no insignificant part to the body. Every part of the body needs the other to be a full functional, healthy body. And so it is with us. There is something for you to do if you're a member of a local church in supporting the worship and the work of the Christian church. Again, quoting from the same book, Brian Habig, Les Newsom, they say this, the church is a body. Each individual person would do well to ask themselves from time to time, Am I a productive and healthy member who contributes to the body? Or am I actively contributing to its dismemberment? Wow, that's a hard application. So what does it mean to contribute to the dismemberment? That would be to gripe and turn against other parts of the body. I don't need you. Cut off that arm. Cut off that pinky. Cut off that toe. And we can be that way in the church. We can turn on ourselves. We can turn on the universal church or aspects of the universal church. We can turn on people. And that is to dismember that one body and the head who has called it together. So we've got to remember the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is on the four corners of this earth. It doesn't all look the same. It doesn't all sound the same. But where the profession of faith is true to Scripture, in Christ alone, it is the one true church of Jesus Christ. And so we don't dismember parts of the body so easily as maybe our personalities would. Amen? Amen. Okay, then thirdly, the third metaphor, the third picture uh, that Paul gives us about this church, and this is a beautiful one. So if you have an ear for beautiful things... Listen carefully to what God is saying. He says the church of Jesus Christ is like a bride. It's a building, it's a body, and it's a bride. Now this is that longer passage for our pastoral prayer that I read and why I read it then so that we wouldn't have such a volume of hearing things now. But you heard, he says, a family is made up of a man... And his wife and they have particular roles and they come together strangely it's this profound mystery of God's creation and his purposes but those who physically in very tangible ways are opposite of each other are made to fit each other and they don't just fit each other physically we're opposites that fit each other emotionally spiritually socially All the aspects of human being, as God created his people, man and woman are opposite, but are made to fit each other. And he is so pleased. The Lord delights it when these two opposite seeming creatures come together and make a covenantal bond that only death itself can separate. That's what he says. It's beautiful. It's a picture of a husband and wife and all things being as they should. Now, you and I know that context as sinners. And so in our marriages, we're opposites all right. And sometimes we don't feel like we fit each other in all those ways. He hurts my feelings. He makes me cry. She slams the cupboards or whatever it is. We can miss each other. But the picture given us in Scripture is marriage as it ought to be. Two opposite creatures coming together. Faithful husband. Faithful wife. And he's to love her in such a way that he would lay down his life for her. And that's not easy to do. And she's to love him in such a way that she respects him. And he knows it. And those two things, that kind of love and respect are beyond us as sinners. But then Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, all of that, all of that in God's beautiful design is to model for us to understand how the Creator loves His church, how the Redeemer loves His people. And that's a profound mystery, Paul says. It's a head-scratcher. It's amazing. That God would love us like that? And that's what he says. That's the story of Scripture. It's beautiful. Uh, The author, Brian Habig and Les Newsom put it this way. Now, brace yourself because it sounds weird at first. But what we're told in Scripture is that God has honeymoon affections for his bride. Oh, my goodness. What does that mean? Well, how about I tell you by reading Scripture? Okay. So it's not my words, these are the words of Scripture. This is what I mean by honeymoon affections. Listen to this, from Isaiah 62, verse 2 through 5. This is the Lord speaking of His church, speaking of His people. Here are your honeymoon affections. You shall be called by a new name. That's what happens at marriage, right? You're called a new name. You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you, And you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your name will not be forsaken. And your land shall no more be called desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's honeymoon affections. Well, what do you mean it's honeymoon affections? I mean, I kind of see how that's there, but you made it sound like it was going to be, you know, make you gasp a little bit. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two. The Apostle Paul speaking. I speaking to the church from the Lord's perspective. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Okay, that's honeymoon language. There's no way around it. And it's sung about. It's smiled upon. It's beautiful that God has those kinds of affections for sinners like us. It's honeymoon language. It really is. And I won't read it, but you can read it after lunch today. Revelation chapter 19, where the image is of what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage feast, the gathering of his people, because the bride and the bridegroom will one day be together as one forevermore. The Scriptures are filled with this. I mean, this is sexual language, marriage language, and the reason is that a state of marriage is supposed to be so holy, so unique, so distinct that we would get it. We would understand, oh, you don't clown around with marriage. That is holy to the Lord. And sexuality, His great gift to marriage, that is holy to the Lord. You don't clown around with that. But we're living in an era where marriage is clowned around with. So we could miss the depth and the beauty of this, but don't miss it this morning. God is saying, you are a building. The church is not about brick and mortar. It's about flesh and blood and His assembling you for a purpose. You're His holy temple. And that church is so diverse. It's so different, but they're one body with one head, and there's work for that body to do in God's world. And how does God feel about that body? Oh, it's a bride. He cherishes it. It's his special possession, as we heard in 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Oh, he cherishes that bride. He loves that bride. Now, if you're a man in here, it is true. The Scriptures are calling you a bride. It's using the feminine term for all of us. He is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. But don't hear that as soft, effeminate language. That is covenantal language. That is as strong and beautiful a language as it could be for sinners. And God is using that language with us. So as we begin a consideration of the church in the next few weeks ahead, can you remember that it's a building of flesh and blood? It's a body of various members and parts, but all underneath one head. And we're a bride We're a cherished and beloved people. In and of yourself, you have no confidence when you wake up tomorrow morning and realize it's time to go again for another week. But with this understanding of the church, do you understand that you can arise with confidence? I'm a treasured possession. I'm not lovely, but he has loved me in a covenantal way, binding himself to me with promise for eternity. There is no more beautiful picture to give than what God has given given us himself in his word. This is the thing called the church. It's disappointed a lot of people. It's disillusioned a lot of people. No doubt, sinfully it has harmed and wounded a lot of people. May that never be true of us. Oh God, may it never be true of us. But if you're one who is prone towards dismembering the unity of the body, or not seeing the beauty of the body in the way the scriptures have revealed. I'll end with this quote. Bebo Elkin, who in many ways is the grandfather of Reformed University Fellowship, he would teach campus ministers, and I was one of them, uh, in this way, in talking about the church, much like I just did. He would say, you know, if Jesus loved his church enough to die for it, don't you think maybe you could be patient with it? Wow, okay. If, If he has these kinds of affections for a wayward people, sinful people, can't we be a little bit more patient with the church? I mean, we could voice our frustrations quickly, right? But it's the bride that Christ has died for. It's the body that he's building under one head. It's the building that he assembles as his own temple for worship. May God give us grace and mercy and peace to be the church and to be patient with one another as we flounder our way finding out what that means. So in the weeks ahead, we are now going to get into the tangible fruit of what it means to be the church. We've got a big picture of you today of the church. So in the weeks ahead, what is the fruit? These will be the titles or the subjects of the sermon in the weeks ahead. The fruit of the church, what we should bear in our individual lives and as a people gathered together, should be worship, prayer, evangelism and missions fellowship, giving and service, and having a biblical world and life view through which we see all things. So that's where we're going, if you like to know. But let's pray that we would be the church and that our appetites would grow to aspire more and more to be the people of God in His earth. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer, that we would be the church Not spectators, but participants in ministry. So Lord, would you encourage every one of us here, whether young or old, there is something for us to do in our bearing of fruit as disciples of Jesus. And Lord, as we close in song, would even the words of this hymn remind us of the same biblical truths we've heard. Encourage us, encourage us that we might be the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.